0: Listening to John. So, this reading this morning is from Revelation 13. Revelation chapter 13. So, Revelation 13, the first beast. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and to it the dragon gave power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. He performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of its people. And by the signs that is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceived those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image of the beast for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And he was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is the name of the beast, or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Folks, I'm just going to pray quickly before John comes to speak to us this morning. Father, Thank you for this time together as a church. Thank you when it settles down, Father, and all our worries and thoughts and the hustle of the week gets to subside, Father, for a moment as we get to spend time in your Word. Father, I pray that you'll just bless this building now. Bless all the rooms where the teaching's going on this morning, Father, that we might all learn more about you and learn more about your good news. Father, just bless you all now. Just open our hearts, Father, to hear the words that you want to speak through in this morning.
1: Amen. Morning again, folks. Uh, let me ask you a question as we begin. Who in here watches the likes of Harry Potter or Lords of the, Lord of the Rings? Who watches that stuff? Right, you're the people I avoid. Okay. Uh, no. Just calling you out there so I, could, so I could identify you. Stay away from you. I don't, right? I've never have. I've never really. The only really thing I ever get into, even remotely like that, was Star Wars back in the day. Loved a wee bit of Star Wars back in the day. Why are you shaking your head at me as if I'm strange? Uh, but no, don't really get into the Harry Potter stuff. Don't really get into the Lord of the Rings stuff. Maybe you should at some time. But what we have here in Revelation 13 is literally, I imagine, because I haven't really watched it, but I imagine it's like something out of those movies. It's very visual. It's very animated. Uh, We see a lot of things going on this morning, uh, and so there's a lot to cover in Revelation 13. Last week, we saw really particularly Revelation 12 focused in on Satan himself. We saw that Satan is dangerous. He's a deceiver. He's the accuser, uh, and when he fails to deceive or accuse and be effective in that, he goes in a different direction. He takes on a different tact. But we were reminded that when we fight him, we resist him, we can overcome him. And the way we do that is through the blood of the Lamb. Last week's text said it was by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they didn't even love their lives on death. That's how they overcame. We know Satan is dangerous. We realized last week, we saw last week, that his power was uh, somewhat powerful but limited. But what agents does Satan use in the world to accomplish or try to accomplish his purposes? That's really what Revelation 13 shows us today. How Satan goes about his plan in the world. How does he deceive? How does he attack? In Revelation 13, we are introduced to two of Satan's assistants, as it were, two beasts. Satan and these two beasts form this unholy trinity. An unholy trinity. A mockery of God. That's really important as we go through this morning that you remember that that Revelation 13 is showing us Satan and these two beasts in an unholy trinity, which essentially is a parody of the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's a mockery of the, the trinity. And these two assistants do Satan's work for him on the earth. And understanding what they represent is massively important for us if we are to fight Satan and his assistants in an effective manner. We need to understand who these two beasts represent, what they represent, to help us fight against him. And once again, in chapter 13, we will see that Satan's success has some success, but his success is limited. Once again, we'll see that Satan and these two assistants have power, and they are dangerous. And once again, we will see that they have some success on the earth. But here's what we need to realize before we even get into the text this morning. Jesus said this for the church. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And at the end of today's chapter, we'll see a call. We'll see a call for faith. We will see a call for endurance. And it's in the context of Jesus having overcome the world that we, we exercise those things. Faith and endurance. And so today, what we're going to do is literally we're going to look at the first beast. We're going to look at the application on the first beast. We're going to look at the second beast. And then we're going to look at how we overcome. So let's jump into the text today. The first beast, and my title—if you're a note taker—the first beast is a political animal. A political animal. Really important that we see the connection here between Daniel and Revelation in the old, Daniel in the Old Testament and Revelation in the New. The first beast comes out of the sea like a dragon. In chapter twelve. It has ten horns, seven, on chapter 13, ten horns and seven heads. The beast is like a leopard, but it has the feet of a bear and the mouth like a lion's. This beast, what, what, what we're seeing here is an amalgamation of the four beasts recorded in Daniel chapter 7. If you go back this afternoon and read, that, uh, I'll, read a, I'll, I'll read a bit of it here for us now, but if you go to this afternoon and read Daniel chapter 7, you'll see this very clearly. This is Daniel chapter seven, verses three to seven. And the four beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion, and it had eagle's wings. Then, as I looked at its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. And after this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, and it had great iron teeth, and it devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts. That were before, and it had ten horns. That's Daniel 7. So you can see very, very clearly from the description of those four beasts that what we have here in these beasts, are an ama- this beast is an amalgamation of the four. And like our passage, like the passage we read today's beast, these four beasts rise out of the sea. And like today's passage, they are like a leopard, a bear, a lion. So what we have here is an amalgamation of the beasts of Daniel chapter 7. Now why? What's the point? Why is that important? Because throughout Revelation, what we've seen is the right interpretation of the symbols used requires an understanding of the Old Testament. A right interpretation of the symbols used in Revelation requires an understanding of the Old Testament and what the Old Testament alludes to. And if we can understand what the beasts in Daniel 7 represent, we will be able better to understand what the beast in Revelation 13 represents. And here's what the the beasts in Daniel 7 represented. It turns out the angel tells Daniel about the meaning of the beasts in his vision, and he says this, these four great beasts are four kings that will rise out of the earth, Daniel seven seventeen. Then in verse 25, of one of the horns uh, becoming another king, it shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Exactly what the, this beast is going to do in Revelation 13. Many interpreters look at the four beasts in Daniel 7, and they see prophecies about the the kingdoms of Babylonia, the Babylonian kingdom, the Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, and the Roman empire, all political animals. Daniel 7 was prophesying against these political systems, these world powers that would rise up and be against God's people. Now, whatever the specific interpretation or the specific, like, the way that we look at it, what we clearly see is these are powerful political entities that are a danger to God's people, a danger to God's people. And the key to understanding the first beast in Revelation 13 is this. The first beast in Revelation 13 represents an oppressive state system. Against God's people. State sponsored persecution. State sponsored persecution. Now, if we develop this a little bit further, we can see it's very similar. In Revelation 13, verse 4, it says, Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? It's very similar to Nebuchadnezzar's question to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, what God will be able to rescue out of my hands? Same question. Who, who is this beast and who can fight against it? Who can take it out? In verse 6, this beast uses its, its platform to blaspheme God and also blaspheme God's people. Now, what we know about, I would imagine if I was to ask you what blasphemy was, you would be able to tell me. Blasphemy is, is literally uh, saying wrong about God. That's what what blasphemy essentially is. And we think of it in that terms. We think of it, when you hear the words blasphemy, you automatically think it's against God. But in in Greek, actually, the word blasphemy can be used against people as well. And so when, when this beast appears, he's going to blaspheme God, but he's also going to blaspheme God's people. And what does that mean? He's going to slander them. He's going to say false things about them. He's going to accuse them. He's going to do whatever he needs to do to wipe out God's people from the earth. The beast makes war on God's people. And so we see this political animal. Now, how do we apply this to today? How do we, as I say Revelation begins with a statement that says there will be a blessing for those who read the book. That means there will be a blessing for the first readers, the blessings for whoever throughout history, and blessings for us today. How do we find blessing? How do we find application in the book today? How do we find application here in Revelation 13? Right. John. You have always preached. That's what you're thinking, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe it's not. John, you have always taught us and you've always preached that we are to submit to our government. Yes? It says that in Romans. Literally says I didn't make it up like. It says it in Romans. Right? We are to submit to the governing authorities that are above us. Right? The Bible is very clear. But. But. And even, we are submit sometimes to bad government. Winston Churchill once said, democracy is is the worst form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. Every government has its problems. Every government is tempted to exert more power and more control over the minds and hearts of the citizens than they should. And that's even today. And for the most part, we are to submit to that. For the most part. One thing I would say, one thing that's really important, one characteristic here of the first beast that we need to mention before we we go any further with application is this. It is a parody of Jesus Himself. Look at what it says. He had a mortal wound. That means a wound on the death, basically. But it was healed. He had the appearance of being killed and yet was alive. Who does that remind you of? Christ Himself was dead and yet lived. And this beast has the appearance of being killed and yet is alive. He has been defeated. He has been overwhelmed. He's dead. And yet he is mimicking Jesus. He is taking the glory from him. And sometimes we see that in an oppressive state system. They seem almighty, they seem as if they are all conquering. Look at the Babylonian Empire under Belshazzar Daniel 5. Look at empire, the Roman Empire. Look at a uh, Soviet Union. Not that terrible long ago. They looked as if they would never fall. They looked as if they were all conquering. And yet they fell. They fell. And so what we see of this first beast is this. One of Satan's allies is the power of the state used against God's people. State oppression, state-sponsored persecution. And some will follow that beast and go along with that. It continues today, and it will continue to the end. And by showing, this, showing us this, John is ultimately asking the question for us as believers, where does, your, where does your allegiance lie? Where does your allegiance lie? Is it Christ, or is it with the state? Because the reality is you can't have both. You can't have both. Christ demands our full allegiance. Again, a quote from Nancy Guthrie in her book Blessed on Revelation. She says this, We want to think we can have a consuming loyalty for our country, or party, or tribe, while maintaining our supreme loyalty to Christ, but we can't. Either we follow the lamb wherever he goes, or we end up following the beast. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out if we were to look at our context in Northern Ireland, how that plays out. We have organizations, we have systems that claim allegiance and loyalty to both God and God and that cannot be, it cannot be. Let me go one step further just in case you're wondering. For God and Ulster is not a thing. It cannot be. Either Christ has our full allegiance or He has no allegiance at all. If you extrapolate that out, the reality is Christ demands our allegiance over every single thing. Folks, let me ask, what are we giving our allegiance to that isn't Jesus? Are we giving allegiance to money? Are we giving allegiance to our career? Are we giving allegiance to our family? Are we giving allegiance to whatever you want to fill in the gap with? Fill the gap in. But if there is anything that is coming anywhere close to Christ, that is extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous. He demands our full allegiance so, what we see here in this first beast, and one of the things that Satan uses and has used over the entire history of the world, is state sponsored persecution. If you were to take it right back through all of history, you would see it very, very clearly. The church has tried to be, our systems, governments, uh, empires have tried their best in every single, almost every single generation to wipe the church out. And they have not succeeded. That's one of the glorious things I think of when we gather. I've said it before, I'll say it again. We're sitting in here, in Rathfriland, in County Down, in 2023. Over 2,000 years since Jesus has, has gone back to glory to be with the Father, sent the Spirit. And we're still here. No other, no other system, no other empire, no, nothing else has lasted that long. And yet, we, here we are. The church, faithful, true, lasting to the end. The first one, the first beast, a political animal. Then we have the beast of the earth, 13 verses 11 to 18. Just as John had seen a beast arise out of the sea, so he sees another beast rise out of the earth. The party in this image, the, the mocking in this image is even more striking than than was with the beast of the sea. This is a lamb-like figure. A lamb-like figure with two horns speaks like a dragon. And there's no need, there's going to be so much of this this morning that I, I, I just don't have time to get into, and there's no need to engage in... in fanciful explanations about what the two horns mean or what the ten horns mean. There's, there's no, no need to do that. But John is alluding here to a figure, the figure of Daniel 8. Just as he's been alluding to the figure of Daniel 7 in the early part of the chapter, now he is alluding to Daniel 8 where we read of a ram that had two horns. And so what we see here, the first beast is political in nature state in nature, but the function of the second beast is different. The function of the second beast is to encourage worship of the first beast. It is religious in nature. It is religious in nature. Whilst the first was political in nature, the second is religious in nature. This beast of of Revelation 13, the second beast of the earth earth is referred to as a false prophet who leads people to worship the state. And it is all the trappings of religion. I opened up this morning our, our gathering by saying that worship is our intention here. That was intentional. Worship is why we're here. And worship is the intention of the second beast. And that worship is to take that worship from Jesus and place it somewhere else. And to place it somewhere else. Worship is the interest and it has its own signs and it has its own number. It's very interesting here in this this passage that we see this false prophet has miraculous signs. And the miraculous has always been a feature of false prophets. We can see it right back to Exodus 7.11, where Pharaoh's prophets prophets mimic the miracles of Moses. It was part of the prophecy of the Olivet Discourse that false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect. Matthew 24.24. And indeed, there seems to be a deliberate attempt to mimic the apostles' qualities or, or signs that the beast of the earth is suggesting. And it is putting itself up there as this true religion. He is seen to be a spokesperson for his master, and his master is Satan. He derives his authority from his master, his master is Satan. And he performs signs and wonders as an attestation to his master, and his master is Satan. What is sure here is the focused teaching of this false prophet convinces some to worship a system that is fundamentally in contradiction to the kingdom of God. A false Prophet who leads people astray, who does not proclaim a true gospel. And again, I I don't need to, I don't need to get into this too deeply, but, and I've, I've I've shown you before, the world today is coming down with this this type of person who is acting spiritual, who is proclaiming a gospel that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, and who is leading millions and millions and millions of people astray. One such example is the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That is what we're, ta- that is, that is what we're actually talking about here. And people, people think, like, John, you're taking this too seriously. No. No. If you... I 'm pleading with you, if you are listening to or, or reading or, or getting involved in anything that looks even remotely, looks like the health, wealth and prosperity gospel, flee from it. It is not the true gospel. It is not the true gospel. Be very careful folks. be very careful what you listen to who you read if you're in any doubt, if you are in any doubt, talk to me ask me ask me my opinion on, on who you're reading who you're listening to. talk to the elders they will guide you in the right direction but there are so much stuff out there at the minute that is just it's 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 so close, but it's so far away. Be careful. The second beast is religious in nature. Its, its, its aim is worship, but its aim is to take true worship off King Jesus and place it on something else. A health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is not worshiping Jesus it is worshiping those three things that I just mentioned. That's the focus. That's the goal. Be very, very careful. And it does these signs and these wonders to trick the people of God into following it. So, what we have in Revelation 13 the first beast, a state-sponsored persecution of the church. The revelation tells us to be discerning. I'm going to get into this in a moment about how we overcome these things and how we see these things. But it tells us to be discerning. We, as we move into the next ten years, will have to be very, very discerning as to what is from God and what is from Satan. And what we will have to do is stand on what God says. On a multitude of issues. We will need to take the Bible as true. We will need to believe it and we will need to stand on it. And here's the reality. This is the direction we're going. And I have no doubt about this. If you stand on the word of God and profess the word of God and be clear on the word of God, you may well end up in prison in the next 10 to 15 years. That's where we're heading. You up for that? Carly, not so much, memory. Charlie, me and you'll get—we'll we'll be, we'll be all right. We'll get in a good wing. Sometimes I think it will, Sometimes I think it wouldn't be that bad. You know now, honestly. As away from the notes, I'm, I'm away. Uh, like, what do you do? Like all day, you go to the gym, do a bit of cycling. Yeah, that on. Sounds all right. No, it is serious. That's where we're going. If you make a profession of faith in your workplace. And you speak out for King Jesus, you may well end up being prosecuted for that. Are we prepared for that? That will be state sponsored persecution of the church. Trust me, we're not within a hound's guile of it yet. A hound's guile? Right, let me explain. I see some confusion. Or. <laughs> Right, a hound's gowl, this is not the text, but this may come up in John's quiz tonight for the young people, just saying. Right, a hound's gowl, or a bagel's gowl, as some put it, uh, if you hear a hound gowling, right, it is the distance which you can hear the hound gowling, you're not within that distance. It's a metaphor, all right? Some of you look still confused. If you hear a hound gowling, and you're within the distance where you can hear it, that's the distance, right? We're not within that. We're still far away. All right? Are you with me? No. Some of you farmers out there, some of you like literal or friend people, are going, "I don't know what he's talking about." <laughs> like what? Are you from the town? Just so. A bagel's gowl. I thought you'd have got that right. First beast, political, state-sponsored persecution. Second beast. Religious in nature. Trying to take worship from King Jesus and place it on other things. You with me? Yes, you got this. We're we're good. Good. How do we overcome? How do we overcome? These allies of Satan are frightening. They will be frightening. And many, many people will follow them. But the glorious thing of chapter 13 is that it doesn't leave us in fear. It doesn't leave us in fear of what is to come. John provides us with three key lessons for overcoming the world in verses 8 to 10. All who dwell on the earth will worship, All who dwell on the earth will worship the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundations of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone has been taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain by the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. In the light of these beasts, John gives a call for endurance and faith. And let's just look at these in reverse order for a second. Have faith. The call is to have faith. Why? There are a limited number of people who will worship the beast. Those whose names were not written in the book of life before the foundations of the earth. The elect are secure. Amen? The elect are secure. They will not, not worship the beast. We can have faith in that. There will be a limited number of people who will worship the beast. Not everyone. All who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. Many will worship it, but God's elect will never, ever fall for worship of the beast. Satan. Be encouraged by this this morning, folks. If you're in Christ, Satan cannot Ultimately, harm God's elect. Fact. Ultimately, harm God's elect. That was the confidence. I mentioned it earlier. That was the confidence of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were confident that God would be able to save them. They had faith. And so, just like them, we need to remind ourselves of these truths. God is in control. He will save His people. To compromise in order to save your life or to save your job or to save your reputation is to deny His power, His beauty, and His sufficiency. And if we do that, I doubt that we are even part of the elect to begin with. In 1543, Martin Luther wrote these words to a letter, uh, wrote these words in a letter to a friend who was worried about persecution by the king. It's an interesting phrase that Martin Luther uses to describe the, the king. Wait to hear this. Why do you fear and worry? Be of good courage. Let your heart be strengthened. Do not overestimate that water bag. That's what Martin Luther called the king. I'm going to use that. Water bag who does not know whether tomorrow he, he has to. Ha- so, ha- what tomorrow brings. Do not overestimate that water bag who does not, does not know what tomorrow brings. Awesome. Have faith in a God who is in control. First thing, have faith. Second thing, endure. Verse 10 here's the call for the endurance of the saints. Why? Why? Because persecution is certain. Persecution is certain. The first part of the verse reads If anyone is to be taken captive to, to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain by the sword, with the sword, sword he must be slain. But we are to persevere, we are to endure. There's a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. And it basically means this, those who are the elect will persevere. What that means is if you're saved, you will persevere. Now, that does not mean that we cannot go through times when we feel far from God or, or God feels far from us, or we go through times when we're not walking Uh, as we should be with the Lord, that does not mean that. But ultimately it means that if someone is saved, they will persevere to the end. They will come back and they will walk with the Lord and they will persevere. This is a call for perseverance. Jesus says in Mark 13, 23, I have told you all things beforehand. He has warned us about trouble. As Peter says, don't be surprised when it comes as if something strange is happening to you. Persecution is a guarantee for the church. It is a guarantee, but we are to endure. Third and final, be discerning. Be discerning. In my opinion, the thing that is lacking most in the church of 2023 is discernment, is discernment. Verse 16 tells us that all those who dwell on the earth are marked with the number of the first beast. John writes in verse 18, it's maybe better from the NIV uh, than it is from the ESV, this calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. Right, just in case you didn't think I was going to get to the good controversial bit, here we go. Here we go. Sex, sex, sex. Revelation, what we've, what we've witnessed throughout the book of Revelation so far, and uh, the way that I'm interpreting the book, is that numbers are what? What are they? Symbolic symbolic, right? This book was meant to be read aloud to its first listeners. The reader is reading. You imagine being in the church in the first century, and the reader is reading Revelation to you, right? Put yourself there. And he's saying to the people, be discerning, have insight. What number would be appropriate for this this cohort, this this uh, cohort of satanic, uh, what's happening in the world? What number pictures man in all its supposed glory? What number might fit? And the reader pauses while the listener thinks, and it only lasts for a second. Then he gives the number. His number is six six six. Why six six six? Why is that appropriate for the beast? Because seven seven seven. Is the number of the perfect Trinity of God. Seven is the perfect number. Seven, seven, seven is perfection in Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Six, six, six falls short of the glory of God. Falls short of the glory of God. Six, six, six. It is an unholy Trinity an unholy trinity. It is symbolic for man without God. That's what it's saying. God in His perfection is 777. Man in His imperfection is 666. And those who follow the beast will be symbolically marked with that number. Let me be clear. This number is not some secret code for some individual. Rather, it is man's number. The number is representing man without God, enslaved to the unholy Trinity, imperfect in every way, yet appearing powerful. So, let me say this to you, church, and I hope this encourages you, and I hope this takes a weight off you. Stop looking for a microchip or a vaccine or any other thing that you may think is the mark of the beast, It is symbolic for man. Alright? Are we clear? Yeah? Are you with me? Stop it. It will take an immense weight off your shoulders. I was in a church twenty two years ago. Right? A well known church. Uh, I'll not name it. You would all probably know it if I did name it. Uh, twenty years ago. I was a Sunday evening service. And the guy there was preaching. And whatever was in the news a couple of weeks beforehand was about a microchip that would be coming and it would be placed in the right hand and whatever. And this was the mark of the beast. Didn't happen. We're here 20 odd years later. It didn't happen. Why? Because it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Six, six, six is man's number. All those who, fo- just what, what, is, what is the seal and the mark of the people of God? And if somebody doesn't shout this out to me, I'm going to crack a lid. What is the seal and the mark of the, of the people of God? Somebody better do it quick. The Holy Spare. It's the what? The Holy Spirit. What's always? The mark and seal of the people of God is the Holy Spirit. Right? It is spiritual. The mark and seal of, the, of man is symbolic. It will not be seen. They will be the ones who will follow the beast. That's how you'll know. That's how you'll know quite simple. We good? No? All right. Uh, I was hoping that this would be a weight off some people. Some people relax now, chill out, not be on the internet searching for the mark of the beast every day. Uh, you know, chill out. Chill out. God's in control. God's in control. He's sovereign. It's got it all worked out. Do you know what's going to happen? What He wants to That's it. That might, be the most, that might be the most reassuring thing you'll hear today in all of this sermon. Genuinely. What's going to happen? What God wants to happen. Chill out. Relax. Have faith. Endure. Yes? Amen. First beast, political in nature, state-sponsored persecution of the church. Second beast, religious in nature, ter- taking our worship from Jesus, placing it somewhere else. How we overcome, we have faith. We endure to the end. Amen. Let me pray. Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would encourage your saints today. Encourage those who are feeling tired Encourage those who are worried. Encourage those who are anxious and stressed. Father, help us rest in Your sovereignty. Help us rest in the fact that You're in control and nothing, nothing will happen outside of that. Nothing. Even Satan and his demons come under the lordship of King Jesus. They cannot exercise any more power than you allow them to do so. Praise God. Father, we thank you for your word and the way it speaks to us and does what it does. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.